You're listening to Citizen Reporter number 452 for the 7th of August, 2013. Hello, everyone. Welcome, new and old listeners. This is Citizen Reporter. I am Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, also known as Bicycle Mark. And this is the podcast dedicated to underreported news, to human stories. That's what we do. That's what we've been doing, you and I, together since 2004. Today's another special one, so why not get right to it? Oh, music today is by Moldover. We are here, somewhere north of Amsterdam Cabbage Field. There are pirate flags and uh, LED lights and uh, teepees and porta potties, some that hold poo and others that hold wires. And uh, that could only mean one thing. It means another hacker camp. And uh, with any good, yeah, yeah, I know it's called OM, but I just call it hacker camp. When my friends ask, where are you going? I'm going to hacker camp. Um, I was about to say that to the guy who um, was stamping my passport coming into this country, but I was coming from Saudi Arabia, and he stared at my visa for a full 30 seconds and said, where are you going? And so I did not say hacker camp. No, you said OM. And I thought, oh, another yoga person. Yeah, right. (laughs) All right, and then since you chimed in first, um, introduce yourself briefly, Anna. Hello, I am Anna uh, Waldman-Brown from California, San Francisco area. And I was here with a whole bunch of lovely hackers talking about grassroots manufacturing in West Africa. Uh, I'm Vinay Gupta of the Hacksure Project, which is a free and open source disaster shelter. (laughs) (laughs) And they built uh, roughly a thousand of them at Burning Man last year for people to live in. Uh, Hi, I'm Grace. I am from uh, the Edinburgh Hack Lab. I'm also one of the founding members of Sathi Pads, which is uh, an Indian startup that manufactures low-cost sanitary napkins. Low-cost sanitary napkins? Yep. Out of banana fibre, okay. using uh, waste products from banana um, processing. Yes, I, I have heard of this. Uh, we, uh, now, uh, next to me, I have Xavi. Xavi? OK, um, Xavi, I'm an Italian traveller. Uh, I'm building community based mobile phone networks in Oaxaca, Mexico. Mm. And, well, that's all there is to say. Yeah, no, there'll be more. There'll be lots more. Uh, Cecile is over there. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> what are you doing, Cecile, in your, in your time on this earth? Uh, well, now I'm doing nothing anymore, but I've been busy with the OM Roop, uh, which is the radio station here, and uh, also a bit with the TV station that's also here on the camp. And I have been like also at What the Heck with a Stream Time Iraqi Bloggers and Iraqi Linux uh, presentation. That was in 2005. Hey, uh, my name is Bilal. I'm really happy to be in this circle. I feel like I'm amongst friends. Um, the project that I'm currently working on is called Gemsi, and we help people set up community workshops in the Middle East, so hackerspaces between Istanbul and Morocco. All right. Uh, 
Hello, I am Catherine. I just graduated from MIT in computer science, and I'm just having fun with a bunch of other friends. That was going to be the next question, what, what we're all doing here, but uh, first, Smart. Um, hi, I'm Smart McCarthy. I wear many hats. Some of them are really funky. Um, I do something that's kind of on the border between politics and technology and society, and it's crazy and chaotic and fun. Um, but here I'm mostly just ranting at people and drinking beer. Yeah. And listeners of this podcast may be able to find you in my archives because I think we once spoke via Skype. But, uh, yeah, exactly. That's how I feel. I'm not sure, but it could have happened. Uh, did I miss anybody? Is everybody represented? All right, let's move on to the next order of business. Uh, uh, since we're passing around the audio recorder, and I think people often like that. They've told me in the past when I do things like this, it's, it's fun to hear. Uh, I wanted to talk about this gathering because besides all the work that we do that's so unique and useful for this world, uh, this gathering, I think, has also something very unique and useful, maybe not for the entire world initially, but maybe later. Um, but uh, I want to hear a little bit about... Um, of course, it's a very general question, like, why do you come here? But what do you love? What do you love about this? Uh, if it's your first time here, then what have you loved about this? And if it's more the longer thing, then, then go for it. Uh, so I came to uh, the Dutch camp uh, last in 2001, about, about a month before 9-11 happened. And that was, in a sense, uh, the camp there was where I transitioned from being a uh, kid who hacked on software to a kid who really worried about politics. Uh, so, you know, political awakening 101, uh, more or less, you know, uh, this camp, different location, but um, 12 years ago. Uh, so I come back now, you know, having seen quite a few things between then and now, and <laughs> I'm going like, Oh shit, <laughs> we're in the exact same situation, only we know a bit more about how terrible it is now. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a great camp and we're, you know, we're basically having fun. If anyone wants to pick up on that, feel free. Or yeah, that's, that's pretty much exactly some of the things that are going through my mind. This is my first hacker camp in, in Europe and <clears throat> I've been pretty much ignoring the political side, partially out of terror of what I would find. And then coming here, I was kind of confronted by it completely with the whistleblower talks and with some of the talks about PRISM and stuff like that. And now I'm like literally terrified. Okay, I'm hoping that I will take the route you've taken and to become more politically engaged and active and to have that inform my work a little bit more uh, in the future. I'm, I'm sorry to say that like I've been trying to ignore the fact that there's all this um, political ramifications and just deal with working with people in such a fundamental way. But yeah, this, this camp really opened up some new doors for me. Xavi. Okay, I'm here because I'm doing, I'm trying to basically spread the word about what I'm doing. So I knew the camp before, I've been here four years ago. What I like most about what's happening is the fact that I can finally, once every four years, <laughs> confront myself with people that are actually doing what I'm doing and the fact that even if it's a mostly European base camp you actually talk with people which are doing stuff all around the world including yeah people well, sitting in this circle <laughs> exactly which are doing things everywhere between Asia Africa South America whatever and I like most the fact that 
once in a while you actually get to know the people that are behind all the fancy projects which are kind of keeping alive the idea that we can do something better. Um, this is also my first time at Hacker Camp. Um, ever, I think, actually. Uh, I, it's, it's actually a, a little bit of um, nostalgia for me. I used to live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is a little bit like this all the time. And, uh, and I'd, I'd been kind of jonesing for it for, uh, for a long, long time. And uh, I, I, I particularly, the, the, the thing that I'm working on, I, I work on with people who um, are around the world. I work with one person in San Francisco, one person in Boston, and one person in Mumbai. And uh, it's it and it's it's nice to and I feel like a lot of people who come here are people who are similarly sort of working physically on their own or physically away from the rest of the community that they work with and um, and it is it is nice to actually have everybody in the one place and uh, in a much wider scope than even somewhere like um, Cambridge or San Francisco where uh, we're here you've got people from different countries um, like. You said before people from who are working all over the world, and um, I think it's really exciting. And it's exciting to see the the ideas exchange that that's going on, as well. Like people who um, are in completely different spheres, but then meet each other and realise that they're actually really interested in each other and and can work together. So I I find that really exciting. Yes. <laughs> so the thing that really strikes that really strikes me the most is just seeing all of these communities that I've been aware of as online communities come into the flesh. It really feels like this is just a, a particular slice of the internet, but all of these usernames now have faces to them, and all of these people can sit down over beers and talk one-on-one -on -one with that much higher sort of emotional bandwidth and, and actually literally come to the same table and talk about things and share ideas. That's what's been most inspiring for me. Yeah. That's what we call human interaction, yes. which is very rare and it doesn't happen so often, but we do that once in a while. <laughs> um, so I came, you know, basically um, because, you know, Samari and Walter kind of were like, you know, scheduled me to do a bunch of talks and then just hold me over here. <laughs> like, okay, I can come and do this. And I found it very much like the intellectual part of Burning Man without the sort of, you know, raw, primal, hedonistic ferocity. You just haven't been awake long enough. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's, it's not Burning Man, right? But it's the intellectual part of Burning Man, and that I've really missed and really enjoy. So I'm quite happy with it. And we've had one Hexier over here in the food hacking lab, which is great because it kind of, it's established the Hexier as a concept here. And I think next year for uh, EMF, which is going to be in the UK, we're going to try and do like, I don't know, a couple of container loads of Hexierts that could become roving hacker infrastructure. So you just get the Hexier container shipped to where you're having your event and there's 200 Hexierts in a box you can take out and use rather than renting all of these damn tents off in, uh, you know, the locals. So, you know, we can actually stand on our own infrastructure in a different way. And anything you particularly love before I move on to the next... Uh... Sure. Um, so I arrived at this camp um, feeling somewhat pessimistic about the state of the world for a variety of reasons. And I am leaving with sort of um, this renewed sense. It also reminded me of my college days back in Massachusetts. So I've, I've been feeling... You sound so old, <laughs> and you're totally not. Back in the old days. <laughs> I mean, all these... Anyone who's listening, just picture someone who's young. And there you have Anna. <laughs> 
anyways, what um, this this is sort of the intelligentsia of the internet, oh, and we're doomed. Abandon <laughs> <laughs> all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> but everyone is brilliant here. It's great because they're they're just these ideas flying around and bouncing off each other, um, and everyone is defining the problems quite well. So sure, they're huge problems, but there is also the sense that I'm getting that we're the ones who are at least trying to hack these issues and um, figure out solutions for the fact that globally we're all fucked unless we do something. <laughs> we, have, we have a newcomer to the, to the circle. Either that or he's going to nod and say he's not a newcomer to the circle. And... <laughs> I'm new. Apparently, I'm making money right now. Um, my name is Bjarni. I'm an Icelandic uh, free software guy. I'm friends with Maori. <laughs> it's a full-time job. <laughs> and and uh, is this your first uh, hacker camp experience, or? Yeah, this is my first hacker camp experience. Um, the only experience I have with things like this would be music festivals. And the music is worse, but the conversations are way better here. So I'm I'm really enjoying myself. Captain this has been Kirk really is great. climbing the mountain. Why is he climbing the mountain? <laughs> 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 Wasn't going to go talk to God or something? No. Um, so no, he he's wants climbing the mountain. He wants to make yeah. love to because the he's in love. Oh, <laughs> with the mountain. <laughs> so these guys launched a company today. What? Yes. What? Why don't you talk to them about that? You're supposed to be on vacation. I thought everybody here was on vacation. Yeah, yeah. They just launched a company when they were on vacation. Yeah, we launched an Indiegogo campaign to raise money to build. Well, the politically incorrect way to put it is something that can replace Gmail. We want a free software webmail that respects your privacy. And we launched a campaign today to raise funds so that we can work on that full time. And the results, the response has been better than we hoped, much better. We're, it's, I gave the talk this afternoon and we're already past $6,000. Really? I, I think we've never made this much money while drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> You're we actually spent Icelanders. I actually have a question. How you made that? Because we tried to raise money with Indiegogo and we got $1,000 in two months. So if you can tell me how to do that, Oh, well, that's, I mean, that's a fun uh, crowdsource thing. <laughs> well, how? my recommendation for you would be uh, get Edward Snowden to tell the world that what you're building needs to be built. <laughs> and that'll make everything so much easier. <laughs> I, I honestly, I think it's just a matter of timing. And I'm, it's, it's really weird because we started working on this. I started working on this project two years ago, and I decided I wanted to do it full time about two, three months ago. So this was before Edward Snowden stepped forth. But the fact that he did so has made my job a lot easier because people understand what the problem is. Let's just stop for a second. For people who are listening who may not, who may not understand, you, you just said a replacement for Gmail is needed yeah, and, and you're going to build it. Um, you need to do this because surely there are people listening that don't know why. Uh, so even though it might be seem like we all know here, uh, someone want to explain why? I can explain. Okay. Uh, Gmail is part of Google. And wait. <laughs> it's probably an example. 
I'll just give it a second. <laughs> Should I ask them to? No, we probably can't because they have like a higher calling. They're probably doing it for the public. And we're doing it for the bigger public. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> it's getting better, it's getting better. Yeah. Okay. Um, so on the topic of, you know, for people who are listening who don't understand what, what's wrong with Gmail. Okay, what's wrong with Gmail? Uh, <laughs> you're basically putting your entire private life in the hands of a nameless and faceless, how you call it, company, corporation, uh, corporation yes, yes. whatever, which basically has the rights and... It's clearly written in the contract that you sign up when you click OK, mm. <laughs> which says that whatever you put into Gmail and whatever you do with it, it's their property. So they are allowed by law and by the fact that you allow to the, comp to the contract to basically scavenge and dig into your data and they can do whatever you want with it, which could be fine up to a point as long as they it's only based on commercial purposes, but it's not good when you hear people like Snowden, which actually tell you that whatever goes to Gmail, Hotmail, and every big provider is basically flowing through the US government. And it's not that I don't like the US government, it's more about the fact that I would like to keep my stuff private. Because yes. it's private. All right. I, that was a sort of disclaimer, I think, for in the context of, of creating the an alternative to Gmail. Um, I want to do something because a, a lot of us are involved with projects that take place in other countries, and uh, we're here at a an international uh, hacker conference. And of course, anybody listening to this program probably knows that hacking goes well beyond computers. I don't think we need to sit around defining that. Uh, it, it's about life. It's about different ways of doing things. Um, I'm always fascinated when I come here. I've been coming here for, I don't know, almost a decade. And um, we're able, I think, to connect this place with the rest of the world, which I really enjoy. And not everybody, obviously, can come here. They can't afford to come here. It's, it's This is, you know, in some ways, communities are represented in one way or another here, whether it's through their stories or through actual people who make it here. Uh, but I'm, uh, for the people that are listening, I wanted to give them a little taste of the different projects that you guys are involved. You've mentioned them already, but um, I, I would like to go a little further with that. So, and and uh, let's, I mean, take us to Ghana, you know. For sure. Next time you go, please. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a fantastic idea, actually. Um, my, I had a friend who was a winner of the $10 robotic arm competition from Nigeria who built a robotic arm um, out or of um, car antennas and wired together the motors and then because it was too expensive to hook this up to a computer he set up a grid of LEDs which you can program via Bluetooth from your mobile phone and then got a um, light reader on the robot which you just stick on top of the grid of LEDs and you write the code such that depending on how the LEDs flash the robot arm knows where to move and when. So he um, had full funding and just couldn't get a visa in time to come to Ohm. So I think there should be a lot more hacker conferences like this, um, giant hacker parties in, um, on the African continent and in the global south in general. Because um, hacking is 
kind of a luxury for people who've got, you know, cushy soft bro jobs or people who are totally broke but have figured out how to make money doing what they <laughs> want to do anyways. <laughs> and um, a lot of folks just don't have this luxury or don't have the family to support them saying, you know what, I'm going to run around the Middle East and start hackerspaces or I'm going to try doing a startup. So the more, um, the more we can start getting involved with the majority of the world who is not in our position of privilege, I think the better the hacker community will be, the more voices we'll have in the discussion. Yeah, uh, I, I would say, you know, especially with this, um, because you mentioned the Global South. So um, I met Bilal for the first time in Beirut about a year ago. Well, it's, it's half a year or something like that. And one of the things that stood out about that conference, and that, that was basically a slightly different kind of hacker conference. It was better a different, different type of hackers, better music, absolutely. Uh, Captain Kirk was not climbing the mountain there. <laughs> and, um, but what, what a lot of the people in Beirut were saying was that conferences like this just don't happen there. Um, and actually, I've kind of gotten the impression since then that they actually do, but um, maybe not uh, not frequently enough, and and kind of are a bit bit out there. So um, you know, it's not really just what some people would call the global south. It's kind of just all of the places that are not Europe and the US. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's a, a good enough uh, number of conferences in Canada. I mean, Canada is, is uh, almost devoid of, of cool conferences. I don't know whether that's intentional or not. Um, you know, and there has been a, a, a upturn in a number of, of good events in places like Tunisia, in uh, Brazil, um, you know, here and there. But still, we need more stuff that is not Europe and not U.S., Bilal, I want you in. I want yeah. you in. Okay, so <laughs> I think this is a really important thing to share. And I agree that they don't exist very much in the Middle East. And this is actually exactly what happened with me and why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. It's because I was living in Cambridge, okay? I, I didn't go to MIT. I, I kind of, like, hacked my education. But I was, I was sitting there, and I was going back home to Michigan. And I realized that I was going to leave this community behind. Then I had the realization that I didn't have to. Like, I could, I could create an environment that would sort of allow the, those people that exist everywhere. They exist in Baghdad. They exist in Ghana. They exist in Detroit. Uh, and if we create the right environments, we can gather them together and sort of have this type of community and this type of engagement year-round. So I'm really excited to see these types of events happen because there is an important reason that happens after them, if you go, people don't leave these places behind. The connections remain, and people start new things after them. I don't know if um, the Chaos Communication Congress in 2007, I think, was the germ of many of the hackerspaces in the United States today. And I think events like this can have that sort of lasting impact. And I agree with Anna and Smari that we need to see more of these around the world. Or to find better ways to bring people like uh, the Ghanaian that made the robot here. We need to like talk with governments about visas. Yeah. Um, and I think um, something else even to, to recognize is that, um, you know, everybody has the internet now, or they're going to have all of the internet very soon. Um, but what a lot of people don't have is um, access to, to even the same kind of materials um, that, that we have. Like, I, I, 
me and Anna know somebody who spent two years trying to get an Arduino into Ghana. Um, because you you just can't order something online and uh, and get it shipped to you. And a lot of places, there's a lot of supply chain issues that uh, that a lot of hackers here take completely for granted that um, that you really can't uh, elsewhere. And um, I think I so, so personally, like I, uh, the company I work with is based in India, and um, I think it it is a really really fascinating place because it's the one place that has both you know the the capability uh, to have really really advanced technology but also kind of extreme needs that it can apply them to and a lot of like really socially aware young people in India right now um, I guess you'd call them hackers or social entrepreneurs or whatever who have a really really strong um, sort of uh, moral conscience but also technological capability and are doing some really really amazing things there um, with with hardware um, you know not uh, more more than software and a really doing things to try to try and improve their country and I think that um, that spirit could be something that I think it would be great for uh, hackers in Europe and America to tap into as well because I think it's a very it's, it's a, such a unique environment um, and where, whereas I think sometimes um, uh, hack, the hacker community in Europe sometimes can I feel people are a little bit confused as to what they can do for the world uh, sometimes. Um, other than provide really nice lights and other than other than provide blinking lights to the masses, uh, but which is delicious, no, no, I, yeah, which is amazing, and I, I I only wish that the world could all have blinking lights, yeah. um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I, no, I think we could, we could learn a lot from other places in the world and and their movements and what they're doing. Uh, they're gonna take that. They're gonna uh, take that all the way. One blinking light per child yeah. is gonna be. Nice. <laughs> We're talking about uh, about right one blinking light per child. Uh, Vinay, you want you want to tell us about what's on the ground just now, providing us well, with light? I think it's the camp's tiniest tent. <laughs> no, well, if you look, okay, there's a tiny. Oh, okay, there is a tiny. Oh, describe what's there for. This is of course the theater of the mind. <laughs> okay, now I got some cover for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is the device that brings us to the theater of the mind. Huh. and it so, cleans chimneys. Uh, it's a little. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, enough of your orphans, God damn it. So, um, <laughs> so this is a silver light, uh, which has a disturbing similarity to a modern anti-personnel mine in general shape, which caused an enormous amount of hilarity when I went through security on the way here, <laughs> particularly when it was paired with my camping gas cylinder. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's... Um, so uh, it's uh, about the size of a saucer, maybe a little smaller. On one side there's a solar panel, and then on the other side there are 12 LEDs arranged in a kind of uh, European Union kind of configuration. <laughs> and inside there are three AA batteries that recharge from the sun and give you light at night. The amazing thing about these is they're $5.50 each. They're cheap as chips. Uh, and Quite literally, actually. Well, as you see, right? Uh, and the, the purpose of this thing is to displace kerosene. So a typical family will spend $100, $150 a year on kerosene lighting if they're in a no-grid area. These things will last for a year and a half, uh, and in that time, they won't require any you know, input at all. So you're talking about saving $100, $150 per family. After a year, you have to switch out the batteries and replace them, which costs you a buck fifty, and then you displace another $150 of kerosene. Uh, in the African tests where they've tried these things, they found people starting businesses off the back of the fa- savings in their family economics from having a solar light. So it's having the same kind of impact that microfinance has, but without any need to repay the bloody loan, because by changing the efficiency 
efficiency with which you access energy, you totally transform people's cash flow. We're talking about increasing their effective household income by 10, 15, 20% off the back of a $5.50 investment. It is a game-changing thing. Plus all of the uh, all of the added benefits to not being burning kerosene in your home, uh, meaning uh, fewer fires, uh, fewer lung problems, fewer just uh, various health issues that come up when you're dealing with kerosene on a daily basis. So, you know, I mean, uh, the net uh, societal benefit of not using kerosene is probably a lot higher than just the savings that are made by, by switching to, to this kind of lead lighting. Yeah, Vinay, I wanted to ask about the manufacturing of this light. Um, one of my friends has a company, he calls it the Solar Pocket Factory. It's a, it's a robot that makes solar panels because he realized that in China, there were basically 10-year-old girls burning themselves on lasers, cutting up the little silicon panels to make these things and, and potting them. And I'm wondering how this thing is $5. Oh, uh, because because it's manufactured in China by slave labor. But so there's like in terms of global net benefit, it's it might be neutral almost. No, no, it's definitely net positive, right? Because okay. a, a small number of Chinese being ruthlessly exploited <laughs> can bring an enormous number of people out of poverty. But pain is not as good as pleasure. I mean, pleasure is not as good as pain. Is what I meant to say. Wait, 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 wait. He's, he was the god of chaos last night. So. <laughs> When did this become a musical? <laughs> it's been a musical Please for the last four to five days. <laughs> don't let it become a musical. <laughs> musicals. Maybe I should tell these guys about, you know. <laughs> oh, yes! Yes! No! No, 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 bring it, bring it. No, no, no. Smarty is asking you to tell me about. Uh, no, 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 no. I know, he brought it up. No, no, you, you no. You did, you did. Go you on, did. go on. Well, so I'm, I'm working on a musical comedy, uh, a play <laughs> called Ahmed the Nazi. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> Which is about a second generation German Turk having an identity crisis. And, you know, he has some visions of Hitler and it's got lots of ripped off Disney tunes. And the idea is to produce a play which will be illegal to perform in every jurisdiction in the world. <laughs> and we're going to put the thing together using some kind of tour hidden service and a wiki so it's impossible to say who actually wrote the thing and then the idea is to have underground performances of this thing in different cities where people are you know hand stitching their tie-dyed SS uniforms as the script requires <laughs> and meeting in secret to perform this piece of genuinely illegal art Mel Brooks would be proud well, yeah. yeah thank you because so, Rocky Horror is a little old and clapped out right the genuine shock that Rocky Horror used to provoke in the 70s is long gone so we need a new Rocky Horror and it's going to be Ahmed the Nazi and that's that's something I like a lot about uh, this particular camp we're, we're successfully um, over the, it takes time but we're bringing culture more than ever <laughs> no no really really we, we performed or we did a reading of a, of a play uh, last night about the, the, the uh, Icelandic bank uh, uh, meltdown and uh, you know people came I think they weren't all poets and, and literary scholars they were hackers or non-hackers from all walks of life and we do that here which i really i think people wouldn't believe it or they wouldn't what, what yeah we just plays? we just saw uh through an amazing uh performance of uh of bach um concertos by this amazing um pianist uh, what was her name 
I tweeted her handle. You tweeted her? <laughs> well, what, what's her Twitter, hand, Twitter handle? Let's get the most important things down. Who will get this far in the audio anyway? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but it was incredible. That, that, that was the first time I've seen a, a, a full standing ovation at this camp. Twice. Um, was was for this pianist, so uh, that was amazing. Um, Sarah is behind me. Yes. She's just yes. over my left shoulder, so <laughs> theater of the mind going from right to left on your radio, <laughs> on your iPod. Um, Sarah, you're you're. I'm gonna present you. You're a first time camper, long time listener, <laughs> and um, and you're you're kind of an observer here. I don't know. You you've you've been watching. You've been taking notes. Um, so we're on we're on the end of what day also four? Heralding. You're also heralding. I don't think I want you to speak to the regular people because we we end up speaking to either uh, very intelligent people or or people who love a good joke. But so okay, I'm neither apparently neither intelligent nor um, any of those things. So <laughs> I don't think anybody can be no, an observer here. I th that, I think that's what I learned. I came here. I just wanted to sit on the sidelines and just kind of see how people are and and just learn from all these amazing people who are in very different fields and backgrounds than I am. But um, I got sucked in, and it's beautiful because you realize that there's not that much of a, a gap between people. Even no matter no matter how much their world is different, it's just like at the end of the day, they just want to chill and talk about normal stuff. And I think that's great. I liked it. Oh, we're all flesh Nor and blood. Normal stuff is a very, very interesting term in this context. So I just wanted to go back to what you said. I mean, I found that really beautiful, honestly, because all of those of us who grew up as the nerdy ones, you know, you know, as, as soon as I told my, my friends at home that I was going to MIT, like my friends from middle school, they all said, oh, you know, they you judge. must be, you, they, yeah. they judge you, you must be really smart, right? There's, there's sort of a lot of that sort of stigma that the nerds are off doing their own thing and they have uh, nothing to share with, you know, quote-unquote regular people. Uh, it's just sort of really, really heartening to hear someone who came in as an observer say that we're, we're not so different after all. That's great. And I, I had a really fun time hanging out with you. So, uh, hurrah. And I loved you guys in Fringe. <laughs> no, but, but, that joke only works here. <laughs> no, there is actually an interesting point to be made about this kind of camp. So, uh, this is a campsite in the middle of a cabbage field somewhere in the North, uh, North Holland or West Russia, depending on who you ask. Um, and uh, basically, for, to make this camp work, you know, 3,000 people spending a week here, they needed to bring in fiber optic cables because hackers can't live without their internet. Uh, also, of some minor importance was water. Uh, and uh, well, electricity was you know absolutely necessary. So uh, <laughs> diesel generators and whatnot, uh, and you know porta potties, entire infrastructure. It's actually pretty amazing to see this kind of camp come together. But I heard this story today. So apparently, somebody uh, unknown to us still um, was very unhappy with the camp at about five o'clock this morning and took a shovel to the fiber optic cable that's coming into the campsite. Oh. It was killing me. I was, everybody was sleeping and I was hitting refresh, refresh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know that's what right. went down. So, so, 5 a.m. Yeah, at 5 a.m. So the team that's running the NOC here, the Network Operating Center, apparently uh, started doing diagnostics on fiber optic, figured out w how far it was to the fault, went out there, 
dug up the thing, spliced it at five o'clock in the morning. Which is hard. Which is not easy. <laughs> and by the time everybody woke up, there was absolutely no evidence that anything had ever gone wrong. Wow. <laughs> I mean, and this is a kind of amazing thing that you can't get in a lot of communities. Like, you know, uh, this kind of thing, it's kind of a, a, ephemeral and kind of just exists for a week. But damn it, I wish this existed always. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one, one of the big struggles of doing this in, in countries like the Netherlands, especially where there's a lot of regulation and then it's small, so you, you can't hide very well, it has, has always been that there's so much self-organizing here. And that's really hard for bureaucracy and authorities to deal with um, because you're supposed to deal with uh, some kind of a top-down management or you have to have security. And so one of the big problems with, with this camp has always been like, who are your, who, who organizes? What? Yeah. People do I their mean, own well, what? One of the organizers put it really well on the first day, uh, or I think the second day, he gave an announcement and he said, look, uh, think of this as a wiki. Because, um, yeah. you know, if, if something's broken, go and fix it. You don't have to find somebody to, if you know how to fix it, you know, you don't have to go and tell somebody, just fix it. Or if you if you would like things to be better, make them so. Um, just everybody everybody can add to this this wiki that is, uh, that is OM. And I thought that was really great. And uh, I, I talked to somebody uh, who used to help organize music festivals in the UK. And of course, like in a music festival, you know, where people want this perfect top-down structure so they can all go and get shit-faced and not actually have to worry about doing anything. Um, um, but, but she said she didn't think when she came here, like last week, that OM was going to work. Because she was like, "What is? What, where is the planning? Why is nothing happening yet? Why is this thing? She, she sort of couldn't comprehend how it could just organically grow into this very, very functional thing. But it did. And, and she said she was amazed and that, that, it, that it actually worked. But I think it, it is that attitude of like, well, you know, if something's broken, I'm, I'll, I'll fix it. And when a car yeah. parks in the wrong place, we forklift it. <laughs> <laughs> and that too. And that too. Sort of guerrilla law enforcement as well as part of the, uh, is part of the whole wiki hacker camp experience. Man, uh, guerrilla yeah. law enforcement officers. I don't oh, think shit. that it's actually that strange because in most parts of the world, I mean, world where we are not living, <laughs> It works that way. I mean, I've been living in Mexico for the for the past year, and people living in Asia or Africa or whatever. The idea that you fix stuff for yourself is actually built into the concept of your own life. So what happened here? It just I cannot explain it, but it's a concept of you organize yourself because that's your life, and. We have been doing that for thousands of years. We just forgot about it in the past 200. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, all over the world, but just exactly. In That's the thing. I mean, to find myself and to find my way of living, I had to go in the most fucked up place of the entire Latin America to discover that people there are living the same way we are living here now in this camp. So, point is probably. It's not a problem about us. It's the fact that everywhere else in the world, and I'm talking about six billion people, they've been doing that since forever. We just forgot about it. I think we can use that to tie the previous conversation with what we're talking about right now. I think um, we were talking about like, oh, you know, like, what is an artist doing here? Or like, why are these hackers acting like people? 
you know? <laughs> it's, it's, we, we, we are people, and people are artists, and people solve their own problems, and we use our technologies, whether it's a pencil or a fiber optic cable, to satisfy our needs and desires. And like, yeah. the fact that we're here acting like a drone flying overhead, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not that surprising. I'm just glad we're taking the time to um, practice being human. Like, we had a massage class today. Oh, sweet. That was amazing, right? And, like, some of my favorite things about this camp have been the times where these people, for the rest of the years, who are, like, are sitting at their computers, thinking in code, coming and acting like human beings in a more complete sense. And I loved hearing about Vinay's uh, uh, projects. They're political projects. They're, um, like, philosophical, thoughtful projects. They're artistic projects. And he, he's, he builds hexahirts from styrofoam. And, like... <laughs> Like, um, Anna talking about the economic crisis using um, poetry, or not poetry, using this, uh, what is it called? Theater. Theater as a way of, of, of taking her experiences and translating it into a thing that's kind of, like, intuitive. I think it was cool to be a performer in that because the, the economic crisis in Iceland was a new story, and now freaking I was like a part of the force of nature that caused it. <laughs> and it was awesome. And this is the, this is the hacker ethos. This is like the, the idea that we're human beings. This is our universe. Let's explore it with friends. That's awesome. There are things about uh, a gathering like this that, that also, I don't know, worry me or I question. For, for a simple example, and they've been saying this for several camps now. I don't, they didn't use that stat this year, but I think we did it again. Um, they get more bandwidth to this camp than the entire continent of Africa. I don't know if that's... Yeah, they said, the same, they said it was the same bandwidth as Africa, but it uh, actually turns out to be only a quarter of the bandwidth. Of Africa. That's still a quarter of the that's bandwidth of the entire freaking continent of Africa. Yeah. And, and the people used to go, ha, and they used to sort of smile and go, nice. I think a lot of people, because it was the achievement of, of being able to handle that. But sometimes I hear that and I think, I don't know if I'm, I think I might be ashamed, I'm not sure. When, when I came here in 2001 uh, to this camp, I, for a quirk of the uh, topology of the camp, I got a fiber optic connection right into my tent. <laughs> of course. Um, and as a result, and it was only a gigabit back then because it was 2001 and we didn't have like multi gigabit connections. Uh, so I had a gigabit in my tent at the same time as the country I lived in did not have a gigabit. Uh, at the time, the country I lived in had uh, six pairs, uh, six pairs of forty-five megabits. So, you know, uh, it was kind of impressive to have that in my tent. And uh, you know, th these people, you know, there's a reason why this kind of camp has way too much network. It's because the people who run the largest telephone systems in the world and the largest telcos and internet service providers in the world are building the network here because they kind of like just want a proper challenge for a change because you know running uh, networks for hundreds of millions of people doesn't actually become a challenge when you can't deploy new technology every day so you know the network here goes down every now and then and we're kind of like oh damn it we can't be online but really you know, the reason is that they just updated something or just deployed some crazy patch that they've been you know thinking about for years and they get away with it because they're just hacking whatever they want. And, you know, so uh, this is as much an, an experience and an adventure for the people in the knock as it is for us out here in the campsite. That's uh, pretty cool, right? It's but, true. I would, yeah. I would, yeah, when you put it that way. No. Well, I, just to maybe contest that, I don't know. Uh, but it, it, 
I, I understand what, what you were getting at earlier, uh, and uh, I, I guess I'll just give my, my spiel about this, but uh, I, I, I sometimes feel that there isn't enough realisation that um, the, the internet, as, as amazing and kind of ephemeral as it, as it feels, is based on things. It's transmitted through things that are manufactured, that are sourced, that are mined from places in the world, from very few places in the world. As uh, Vinay Gupta, who is wandered off somewhere, but I hope he'll be back, put it, you know, you're, you're, you're talking, you're debating uh, about uh, privacy and, and freedom of software using laptops that were made by slave labor in China. And, uh, and this is something that we, that we do have to remember, that we can't get caught up in, uh, in changing the world through bits, but forgetting about the atoms. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I and I feel really strongly about that. And and there there are thankfully a few uh, a few sort of hardware um, manufacturing people at the camp. Uh, Vinny is one of them. Uh, Anna's another one. Um, and we've I've and I've met like I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and yeah. And as you said, like amazing networks in Mexico. Um, I've heard of some people doing some things like in other places in the world and um, I think it, 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 it there's, there's a sense that this could be overlooked um, but I, I think we can't overlook it and um, I think we're I, I've been excited to see that there has been a little bit of awareness um, popping up among the kind of the, the coders and the, uh, the the real software geeks or software or political software geeks or that we're, we're actually going to have to face up to the real world as well at some point. Contest the, the contest. Contest the contestation. Contestation. Because <clears throat> if you don't want to oppress anybody, you should go into the woods right now, lie down, and die. Okay. So that light that he made to help people in Africa, like, burnt the skin of like a twelve-year-old girl in China, and like. We, we have to be aware, and I'm really glad you asked that question so that we're aware of the inequalities and the oppression happening in the world. And we should make it our mission to, like, reduce that throughout our lifetimes. But really, like, it's, it's really hard not to step on anybody's fingers. Yeah, no, or kill I know, people. I have two things to say. The first one is what you were talking about, fiber. You know what? A funny thing is in Amsterdam, where I was living before, I could get a 100 megabit symmetric connection for 90 euro. And where I'm setting up networks now in Mexico, I can get one megabit for exactly the same price, which makes you think about the fact that... What the fuck? <laughs> but on the other side, I think that the fact that these kind of camps exist, the fact that people who have the knowledge and the power to build technology which is affordable, which is available for everyone, is a good thing. In, this, in a sense, what we are doing now is concentrating the best people in the world. Well, oh, well the, okay, not, not, not the best. <laughs> Some. Some of the brightest minds 
in the hacker community to actually build something that can help everyone else to expand, to get out of their own... Okay, I'm pushing my own project. Go. So, the entire idea about building community networks in Mexico is the idea that wherever you put an advancement in technology, be it mobile networks, be it internet, be it whatever, you basically push the level of life forward. So if in a country you create a mobile network, everyone will improve their quality of life, which makes sense because poor people will get a bit less poor and rich people will just get richer. What we are trying to do and what I think is everyone should do is to actually bring the best technology to the poorest people, to the people that don't have the access to this, to this kind of technology because we don't want to shift everyone up. We actually want to reduce the difference between poor and rich. Because the thing is, we have the technology to... No, I was just going to say the word colonization and that I think that it's a bit presumptuous to assume that everybody wants the technology that we care about. I, I, I just, I think that that's not true and that we should respect that what we might consider to be poverty might not be poverty. And if you just look at tribal cultures for the last 50 years or so and how they're being eradicated from the earth because we think that they need something that they don't necessarily Nikes, need. Man. I mean, really, like, I, I walked the Inca Trail last year and it was devastating what the people on that trail, Incans, the last of the Incans, what they said about us coming there and trying to give them our technology and our ideologies. Um, so, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying that this is, this is a conversation that has a lot of different perspectives and it's, it's important to sort of understand that not everybody wants what we're selling and it's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay for people to... Hold on, Chavi. And then I'm just going to reply to what you said and that's it. Um, what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do is to propose a different way of building infrastructure. Because the thing is, the community I'm working with, they're not the kind of people that says, we don't want technology and you can go and fuck yourself. <laughs> they are the kind of community which want to have access to a kind of infrastructure which doesn't exist yet. And they're not, and they are indigenous communities. They talk Zapot uh, Zapoteco, they talk their own language, they have their own thing. Eh? but I've been trying for the past 10 years to have a decent mobile network, which we, they cannot have. And the point is, we are not pushing, we are making an offer, which they can refuse, even though I'm Italian. <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> he beat us all to it, amazing. And the thing is, we are not forcing, we are not pushing, we are just saying, you can have what you want in the way you want and you are going to manage it. We only offer you the technical knowledge but everything else is in your hands and what you do with it is your business, your problem or your thing in a sense. But what you say is that technology, business and neocolonialism 
go together, which is not the thing. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I what didn't say that. No, 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 no. Can I, can I, can I answer? Actually, yeah, we got it. Yeah. Um, but just to, to add to that, uh, you're talking about sort of technology transfer to uh, to other places, but also I just think that we could uh, th- we could learn a lot from watching what the rest of the world is making as well, because they're making a lot of stuff. Um, they wouldn't necessarily call themselves hackers, but there are people, I think as, as um, you said earlier, that are all over the world, you know, the, uh, repairing stuff and improvising uh, because they have to, uh, because they need to, because that's the situation that they're in. Um, because, and, and now you're seeing uh, leapfrogging technologies, uh, the, the technologies that have leapfrogged uh, in places like Africa, but have, div- have, have given birth to kind of completely new technologies and ideas because they're in this unique situation. For an example, there's now some um, European banks that are using um, mobile banking technologies developed in Kenya because Kenya has this unique, because everybody in Kenya uses a mobile phone and not a computer or a laptop, they have dev- have this unique position where also people, you know, move from the country to the city, they send remittances back to their parents. So from this, you know, they, they created this um, system called um, M-Pesa, I think. Yep, yep. Yep, right. And, uh, and uh, this is a way for people to transfer money um, from place to place, from account to account, using mobile phones. It's something that didn't arise, that could be useful in Europe, but didn't arise there first because it was, you know, it was going to arise in this environment that really, really needed it. I think uh, we, the sort of hackers in, uh, in Europe and, and the US should be looking at the rest of the world and seeing what they're doing because actually we could have just as much, if not more, to gain from that as, uh, as they have to gain from us. Uh, just a, a little pause. Uh, we have new members to the circle, and I, and I, I want to talk about the circle for a second. For people who are listening, uh, let's pretend like we're on the radio. Uh, CitizenReporter.org is the program. We're at uh, Ohm 2013. It's it's slightly chilly. It's nighttime. Uh, there are a lot of people, first of all, sitting in this circle, standing in the circle. Sorry to everybody that's standing. Um, but it's good for your health. You probably sat half the day today. Come on. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's a camp of uh, more than uh, 3,000 people. Uh, here in the Netherlands and there are bright lights and, and you can hear the sound in the background um, and it's such a nice thing I mean I've been going to these for a long time but it's it's great to have everybody huddled up people are walking by wondering why we're huddled up a man with a large camera has noticed this and come over and he's talking, it's great it's great and he's taking pictures of us I, I it's I like this I didn't need you know the lights and everything but it's it's great um, did you guys want to some of the new people in the circle want to jump in what? This is a magical device. We should have done this every day. It's like a campfire. Just put out a microphone, like, hey, guys, you want to talk about yourselves and, like, discuss things? And, like, hell yeah, but without the microphone here, I think we had all been like, where's the party? <laughs> and people are hugging and sort of leaning on each other. Yeah. It's, it's really... We See what you guys did, a audience? A fire. Oh, yeah, well, we, we have an LED fire. Uh, Roger, did you want in? I want to let somebody new uh, in, yeah, course, and you can you can briefly uh, introduce yourself however you wish. It doesn't have to be nationality or jobs. It could be however you would like it. Oh well, I'm just I'm Raja. I'm just from, I'm I'm from Lebanon, and I have like a couple of things that I want to say, com- leading off your previous conversation. So the funny thing was like back, harkening back to the beginning when you guys were talking about the unfairness and the whole quarter Africa quarter of the benefit of Africa and stuff, which will lead in, is that the funny thing is the infrastructure at this camp is better than my infrastructure back home in Lebanon on a daily basis. Like, I don't have electricity 24-7. I don't have running water or hot water 24-7. 
Um, you know, so it's. <laughs> but then, how do you feel about this? Is this a good thing? What we're doing here is this. Is it irritating? Well, I, well, the thing is, it's irritating to go back home and have <laughs> and actually find that the challenge of getting over this is very tough, because when you don't have the infrastructure there, it's difficult to build anything, build on top of anything. And one of the things, as, as, like speaking of localized technology, because Laura brought up the fact that sometimes people don't want these foreign technologies pushed on them. Um, actually, the funny thing is, you'll easily find Lebanon people complaining that, for example, like WhatsApp is like a devil app, and that like they was spread, you know, like into into countries like Lebanon to like reduce their productivity. And you'll find this as a common random folk thing that on riding a bus or riding a, a taxi. And uh, the thing is, though, this actually has inspired a whole generation, if I might say, of entrepreneurs and and software developers there who have come up with localized uh, solutions to things that perhaps aren't needed, you know, anywhere else, or perhaps other places can look at. So, and it actually this whole this whole lack of infrastructure, this whole kind of feeling like that apps are colonializing, you know, our environment has actually pushed a whole generation of makers into existence there. So for example, Sarah and I here are of that generation of makers. And so we come here and sure, everything seems fancy and cool, even though we were at campsite and it's like better than home half the time. Um, but the thing is, it makes you, I guess I feel like it makes you want to go back and do something about it. But I don't know if everyone's equally motivated, but that's how I feel. So I just wanted to make sort of a sort of a meta level comment about this whole discussion about sort of the global impact of what's going on here. That I think uh, one trend I see in in general what's going on here at Ohm is towards people connecting with each other more. So you sort of picture the stereotypical hacker working in some basement on some tiny project that maybe only benefits themselves or just something they find cool and not sharing it with anyone. And then this hacker maybe connects with people through the internet and then has sort of this wider community and starts starts making things they might find cool. And maybe these people get together and they set up a physical hacker space. So now you have people connecting in person, working on projects that this larger group of people might benefit from. And they start working on things for their community or for people who are, who are similar to them. And then you get to a space like this and you meet people who are different from you. And you start seeing the ways in which your work can sort of have a, a, a broader impact. Maybe it's at, at, at a nation level. Or now we're even seeing more of this openness towards the global perspective where these, these, these people who as I say, stereotypically, you imagine working in their basements on things that no one else cares about are now starting to connect up to this global level. Uh, and I've just been astounded at the level of openness I've seen to these ideas. You know, I've, I haven't heard anyone at all say, man, why are people talking about projects in Africa? This is about our hackerspaces. No one has said anything like that. In fact, every time I've, I've talked to people after a talk with a more global focus, it's just been an astoundingly open and, and just a, a, a warm reception to that, and people are, are getting very curious. And so I'm very hopeful that in four years' time we'll see a lot more global focus on countries that are not like ours, on people who are not like us. I, I had an odd moment that you remind me of. I gave a talk on Syrian citizen journalists, and, and people know what I do. And uh, as I walked off stage, some Spanish uh, hackers came up to me, really kind, and they uh, I thought we were going to say hello, I thought we were going to chat, and the guy goes... Uh, I'm a programmer, I do a little developing. Uh, as a journalist working in the places where you've worked, what would you like me to make for you? <laughs> and I didn't know what to say in that very moment because it was like, wow, wait a minute, I'm going to think of something really good and I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> Actually, so uh, regarding this, uh, you know, you, you say that nobody has 
has complained about coverage of uh, faraway places. But I've had the exact opposite. Uh, so we did a talk the other day, me and Herbert, who, who's sidled up here, and um, and one of the criticisms we got after our talk was the things that you're saying are very kind of Anglo, uh, like our European American centric, and you know uh, like Occidental. Uh, where's the the kind of Orientals, Global South view on these things, and. It wasn't actually that we'd overlooked it. It was more that we just decided to omit it because it simplified things a whole lot. But it was really nice to hear people complaining about the lack of this coverage because it meant, you know, oh, holy shit, we actually need to talk about the entire picture every time we talk about anything. I'm, I'm really excited about the story that she just told. Who really resonated with the story of like doing projects on your on your own, going online, finding friends, going to a hackerspace, um, and then like eventually winding up here talking about like oh my god there's a world and it's in danger and we can do something about it <laughs> yeah that's my story yeah. that's totally like who else agrees yeah. like yeah. all of us yeah. Yeah. that's amazing <laughs> and I think that um, sharing the, the stories that we just told and finding ways to to Put out the thread, that the beginning of the, the thread that leads people to this destination because I think that we need everybody on this planet to save this planet and um, the more people we can get to that, that pathway of like, oh my God, I can do something. Oh my God, there's people out there that care. Oh my God, there's people within my community that care. And then merging those communities together. I made the analogy of like a Petri dish with like little parts growing and suddenly you'll see after two days the entire petri dish is covered in mold <laughs> we, we are an awesome little colony here and I have, I'm hoping that more colonies um, Ooh, mold. come in the future what? Shit. <laughs> musical chairs has gone terribly wrong um, what I think is so great about a lot of modern technology is the potential for both decentralization and extreme networking because you can you know, connect all of these different nodes and the fact that in we've built, you know, more infrastructure than they have in Lebanon with a whole bunch of volunteers um, in the middle of a cabbage field in like, what, probably a week and a half is the entire um, setup, like in deployment time. And this, this is something that can be done and there's tremendous potential here. And, you know, with the internet, um, with modern manufacturing um, tools and all these sorts of things, there is a lot more potential for everyone figuring out how to hack their own infrastructure. One thing I find interesting here is the assumption that, you know, this hacked together infrastructure is something unusual. What do you think they, you know, those places they call slums, how do you think they're built? On rockin'! I would like to continue on what you say because the thing is what we see here and what we find amazing as the concept of self-organizing an event and building an entire infrastructure around it we consider it something special something extraordinary but for the rest of the world it's like day-to-day -day life I mean I, I don't know what you what have you been what's your life but from my point of view what I found by going around, I mean, outside of Europe and traveling around is the fact that what we consider as the hacking mentality is actually the only fucking way to survive. So what we think as special and what we think as extraordinary and 
bright and special is actually the only way to survive and to move forward. So maybe we should, I don't know, step down a bit from the place we put ourselves as the most the, the smartest people in the world and consider the fact that well you know the rest of the world is actually surviving with one tenth of what we have and we should probably learn from them more than teaching them something I, I think this is might be a, a, a generational thing as well um, I when I when you when you 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 said about um, this being a general way of life, I thought of my grandfather who would never ever call himself a hacker. I don't think he knows what the term means. He doesn't use a computer. My grandma does all his emails for him. Um, but he, you know, when when he was younger, he decided he wanted a boat. He found an old li- uh, lifeboat from an ocean liner, and he made it, he made himself a sailboat. Um, he is now uh, just about eighty, and he still make, hand makes slabs for his garden um, he still fixes all his cars he still fixes his boat he's uh, he's building never-ending walls that you know just seem to cover more and more ground and for him this is this is just the way he does things this is what everybody of his generation did as well um, they were all given products that they were expected to be able to fix um, my grand still has the singer sewing machine that she bought in the 60s they still have dresses my 16 year old sister just wore a dress that had been handed down three generations made by somebody in uh, in 1964 which was the year my mother was born it's very it, it this isn't something unusual at all um but that i think has sadly been forgotten um but it is there and the capability is not it's not just there on the other side of the world it's there you know uh, like a couple of generations ago, one generation ago. It's a really and, nice way of putting it. I and think... hey, or or reacted violently against. I I don't know, you know. Well, but I, I think one of the things that come keep, like keeps coming up, and I think Herbert and Samari can even yeah. help with that, is the idea is that um, I think all the countries that were hit with the industrial age, right, all kind of went into this into that kind of state where people forgot how to live by hacking. And all the countries that missed out on that boat kind of still do that, right? So I know it is a huge generalization. It's quite sweeping, in fact. But to find that they are a hacker at heart every single person but if you look at them all at mass then we say that everybody is consuming which is true i'm not saying that that's not but it's just it's very hard to have a conversation like this and and make any sort of statement that that says all, all of the industrialized countries you know all of those people are only consuming that's horseshit her grandfather's not just a, he's a hacker too my sister who you know was married right out of high school to her high school boyfriend and bought a Ford Taurus and a white picket fence and has three kids and she's a hacker too in her really weird like very stereotypical American way you know so it's like I don't know I'm just I'm trying to I guess I'm, I'm like I think that everybody is making good points and I think that it's an, an important conversation and I'm not trying to be pessimistic or or anything I'm just I'm trying to figure out why we're having this conversation here when we're talking about people out there. Because... Because it's being recorded! No, because we have the presumption of thinking that hacking is a way, a move forward, as in we are in front while we're just relearning what everyone else has been doing for the past thousand years. 
<laughs> but, okay. Yeah, which has been forgotten by a lot of people. I mean, I can rattle off a long list of people who don't know how to do anything anymore. And they're, exactly. I mean, and they're, I love them. But uh, okay. I mean, you know. my own personal experience in Mexico is the fact that I've been there to teach, and I came back learning way more than I teach them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I was, I would completely agree with that. I lived in Ghana, West Africa, last year. Um, and I was going through this cluster of about 150,000. By our standards, they would be hackers. They um, bring in uh, these completely ruined vehicles and fix them up. Uh, they build the entire national bus system, which is uh, these privatized like cargo vans that they've made out. They've rigged up these seats out of rebar and mattress foam. And I met a guy who um, is an inventor, an engineer who was building agricultural processing machines um, using the um, auto body sheet metal of cars, and he'd hammer that out. And he'd take like an engine from a scooter and hack together some way to um, uh, mill corn. So most of his machines were for corn milling. And I was asking him, you know, do you see yourself as a maker? Do you identify, you know, yourself as an inventor? And he... He didn't really consider himself an engineer or um, particularly creative. His thought was that this is what he has to do to survive. And in fact, the entire intellectual community, um, or most of the intellectual community in Ghana, most of the academics, um, look down on this hacker mentality because the better your PhD, the uh, more advanced degree you get in engineering or technology of any field, um, the nicer your air-conditioned office and the cleaner your fingernails get to be. So this brilliant inventor who's actually making things didn't really appreciate um, the fact that he had these skills that he could hack together this brilliant uh, corn grinding machine. So I think what we as hackers and as the intelligentsia, so to speak, I don't exactly know what the better word is here. I keep, you know, thinking of um, Jean-Paul Sartre and all the French intellectuals drinking coffee or whatever. We've got more LEDs and <laughs> bad Star Trek remixes. Right, but we we are the ones who are creating a lot of the technology in this world, and we are embracing this hacker mentality in a way that a lot of the world where there are perhaps more hackers and possibly even better hackers, we wouldn't know because they're not here, um, they haven't really accepted that this might be a better way to move forwards and a more sustainable way rather than... Um, the industrial worlds tend towards centralizing everything and having all these hierarchies. I'd just like to add another story onto that. Uh, it's a story time. Um, uh, but I, I gave a talk to a group of uh, Indian students last year at a sort of rural uh, technical university in Karnataka. And um, they, the students started a debate about uh, intellectual property. Now, they were all mechanical engineers. A lot of them um, were fairly well off for the, you know, for the place they were in. And they, a lot of them had very strong feelings about they wanted to make products that helped their country and helped the world. And uh, this student stood up and said, you know, I'm going to build something and I'm not going to patent it. He said, I think he had an idea for a water filter. I'm not going to patent it. I'm going to let everybody copy it because everybody's going to copy it anyway because that's what happens in India. And I'm just not going to bother because I wanted to help as many people as possible. As soon as he did this, his professor stood up and started yelling him down. 
uh, saying, no, you have to patent it, otherwise everybody will steal your ideas. And then another two professors came up and again started shouting these students down. And, you know, this this went on for a while and eventually the, uh, the students were shouted down completely. But um, it just kind of shows you that there now might be a little bit of that realisation in some parts of the world from an upcoming generation, certainly in India, that actually, you know, there there's a different way from the old kind of paper engineer route um, of, you know, you become a chartered engineer and you stop engineering. Uh, and that actually that that could spread, it could spread to Africa maybe, it could spread to other places in the world. Um, it could even spread to Scotland, maybe. <laughs> um, or, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, but uh, I think to a lot of the world is, is still entrenched in, uh, in this idea of very, very old-school uh, engineering, um, where the people, you know, where the, the, more, the more experience you get, the less experience you gain on a daily basis. Um, and I think it's nice that we are making that shift into the hack isn't something that's... Um, a kind of bad quick fix. It isn't something that's for dropouts. It isn't something that's for people who couldn't be bothered doing it right. It is actually this creative, inspiring, very intellectual way to do things. Um, I think that's a good shift. There's a book that I think everyone here should read. It's called Jugad Inf uh, Innovation, and it's about that same, that sustainable way of creating that happens in a resource-deprived environment where people are making things out of need. It's like design principles in action because there is no other reason or ability to create. Anyways, Jugad Innovation is a good book by this guy named Navi. You should read it. All right, I want to do something in a, as a conclusion because I think we all want to go stroll around and see friends or we want to stay right here. Um, and, and since we started off by talking about this camp and then, and then we connected it to the world beautifully, I think, um, I want to come back to the camp and to illustrate it in some way, give me, I'm going to go around, there's, there's new people in the circle, and um, something either beautiful or str profoundly strange that you saw today, no matter how small <laughs> or, or how big, uh, just if you didn't see it today, if you saw it in the last few days, uh, you, uh, you probably saw 20 things, but choose one. Um, I can... Oh, you're ready. All right, good. I, I'm, I'm ready because I've, I've been wanting to make sure this anecdote of mine uh, gets in this program because it was sort of the most important thing for me, and I'd sort of like to, to paint a picture, a visual picture, for the people listening. Uh, so when I got to the got to camp, I didn't have any talks that I was giving, no project I had brought. I'm like, I'm going to volunteer. That's the thing that I'm going to do just to make sure that I'm contributing something. So I did a parking shift, and that was fun. But the best volunteer shift that I did was tending bar in the lounge. So the lounge, uh, if you, dear listeners, will, will picture, is this large sort of circus tent style enclosure. And it's, it's carpeted on the bottom, and so people take their shoes off when they go onto the carpet. And this entire carpeted area is full of multicolored pillows and bean bags and blankets and small tables. And the ceiling is strung with multicolored, like gently shimmering, blinking lights. Uh, so I arrived with no training at all, no idea how to tend a bar, no clue what I was doing. And I said, Hey, I I'm going to tend bar. Are you my co bartender? He said, Yes, I am. And do you know how to pour a draft? beer so I learned how to pour a draft beer and where all of the different caffeinated beverages were and then for the next two hours I hung out with this guy I DJed some music so there's this really relaxing music going on and people would come up and you know thank us for providing them with their caffeine or alcohol beverage of their choice and there's I just got to spend these two hours in this room full of happy productive connected people 
in this comfortable space doing what it is that they love and sharing these things with one another. And that was just for me absolutely the highlight and I, I got to learn things that I hadn't learned before and then go on with the rest of my conference just feeling like I'd, I'd done something. Nice. Next up, anyone? Anyone? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it's a weird question to say, like, what's the strangest or most beautiful thing? Because darn, there are a lot of strange and beautiful things going on around here. You, like, have blinking planes overhead. You have these jigs all over the place. You have stormtroopers and Boba Fett and I don't know what. But the, but the idea is, I think one of the coolest things, actually, this happened on the first day. I came, I was, like, all, like, just in awe of this place. Um, I remember we were just on our way to where we were going to camp out and stuff. And then I just take a second with, like, I had this drink in hand. I take a second and look over this canal. And I was like, wow, you know, this place is really beautiful. And I look up. And across the canal, there's a guy also with his drink, also contemplating the canal. And we, we, actually, we actually just look at each other, you know, just kind of like make this cheers kind of gesture across the thing and continue looking down and looking across the place. And I thought that was beautiful because you're here in this place where, sure, you can interact with people and you're all interacting over something really simple or something really complicated. But it's just as simple as that simple interaction that you have. And I think that's the most beautiful part of this. Thank you, sir. Um, mine's less beautiful, uh, but it was, uh, I was at breakfast this morning and there was a family, because one of the great things about this camp is that there's kids running around everywhere, like beautiful little blonde Dutch kids are wandering around and, and you know, sort of pushing each other into the dams and stuff like that. Um, but uh, uh, there is a, a family of three, a mum, dad and a little boy who are sitting eating the breakfast and the mum kind of like chastises the little boy for something and putting his cheese in his head or something like that and he goes mom we're at hacker camp and like i can do what i want and uh i just i, I thought that was lovely um <laughs> he was hacking cheese and hats um, and I just, yeah, I just, I like that there are so many families. Uh, I like that it's so open to to everyone. They've got a kid zone um, that kids can play in and uh, do their little hacks. And and I just, I, I love that. I love the fact that it is, it's, it's very inclusive and it's, uh, it's, it feels very relaxed as well. I like that. Okay, one very simple thing. I've been struggling with my tobacco addiction for the past two days because I ran out of tobacco. So I basically hang around all the time. Do you have something? Do you have a paper? And the funny thing is, I met some Spanish guys yesterday. And they're part of Lorea and minus one, the phone liberation network. So we started talking. We do phone networks. They do phones as well. So, And, well, you know, we met yesterday. So I don't have a fucking clue who they are. But today, while walking, the guy stopped me, gave me a pack of tobacco and said, here, that's for you. And it was like, wow. I mean, you're reading my mind. Like, no. I really love the idea that sharing is not only a matter of sharing ideas or knowledge or whatever. It's also sharing what you have. So if you want to drink grappa, you... Go there <laughs> to the Italian embassy. Exactly, which we have plenty. And in general, the fact that money, things, stuff that we consider part of our life, because we live in the idea that you live by your job, your money, and your possession, 
doesn't actually exist as long as you don't think about it. Sure. Um, so, man, I, I have a lot of things that are running through my mind from like the really strange things like the how to take over the world wall or the robotic crepe maker or... Um, and I think what's beautiful about this camp is that people are, I feel like people here are finally taking ownership, like their birthright. The fact that you are born in this world means that you own and you participate in the creation of it. A lot of the bureaucracies and the Kafkaesque, like... <laughs> ideologies that we've we've had in our outside worlds is break, broken down here and i feel like i've been having a i've been in the in in the real theater of life with a bunch of amazing improvisational actors creating the life that they want to see and it's been really really fun to play with all of you this is really, really quick hey, wait a minute. um i'm sorry but uh i i really love what you just said because uh, i'm i'm from scotland we may be on the verge of creating a new country for real in two years. Um, we're having a referendum on independence. If we win, then uh, two years after that, we become a new nation in the world. Um, which, and just from what you said, yeah, it is, it is inspiring for me and kind of heartening for me to see a bunch of people coming and taking that responsibility. Because I know that that's something that I'm going to have to do in a very serious way, might have to do in a very serious way in the next few years, and it's it's that's inspired me a lot being here. Sorry, Something? I'll stop the mic. I'd like to point out that um, in my experience, the toilets have remained really clean and yeah. well stocked. Yeah. That is a beautiful thing. No, I mean compared to anywhere Without else I've been. Right. Noisy uh, square. Well, never no, mind. I have yeah, noisy square. With, with toilet paper. <laughs> Sorry, I have I have two quick anecdotes. The first one is I was standing randomly in the food court and this man turns around and he says, hi, who are you? And we just started talking and I later find out that this man is one of the founding fathers of all these kind of camps. And I'm like, wow, the openness people have towards one another here. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you're from. And there's so much that allows for so much learning and growth. And the, another small, really, really um, simple anecdote that happened today is I was going on stage and I was sitting there shivering right before going up there. And then the sound guy comes to me and he says, I heard that you're cold. You can go sit right there beside the piano because the lights are still on and it's really warm there. And I said, but, but I didn't say this out loud to anybody. He said, I heard it from the sound piece I was testing. And you said, and you were mumbling to yourself and you said, I was freezing. And, and I was like, what? And it was the sweetest thing ever. And it just made my day. Okay. I have a simple one, and it's the simple things that make this camp beautiful. Um, a lot of us and some other people that aren't here were walking today. We didn't know where we were going, which is a beautiful thing on days where we don't know where we're going. And wherever the wind takes you and you get distracted and you just start talking to someone you never met or that you have met. And uh, someone heard there were comfy chairs somewhere. And, and we said, we need to go sit on comfy couches. Comfy couches, wow. You know, and, and dialogue ensued about comfy couches. And we start walking towards the comfy couches and three old friends with somebody in the group show up and they go where are you going I said well we're going to go sit in comfy couches <laughs> well okay and we go towards comfy couches we never even made it to comfy couches <laughs> because there were comfy beanbag chairs laying out just in a, in a key little corner with the sun was bright but not too hot and we all just take whether there was enough for everyone who cares we all just lay around on the, on the beanbag chairs and sure enough someone says I have something I can read to you something I've written 
and uh, we all say, well, yeah. And uh, she began to read, and we sat and listened for I don't know how long, uh, an hour, maybe more. Uh, we listened to someone read chapters from her book, and we, some of us were, were laughing the whole time, some of us were staring at the space. Um, it was, and we didn't all know each other, and it was just, uh, I think people were walking by looking at us like, out of all the lights and the machines and the talks, these guys are listening to a story. You know? I'm not sure, but did the group get bigger? Because while I was reading and I looked up and then there were more people all of a sudden, I was like, where did these people come from? But I, actually, that was you stole it, but that was going to be my beautiful thing because oh, I, I've, never, thing? I've never read aloud. Uh, any of my work. Uh, I've never really shared it because it's a hobby. We were honored to hear it. Yeah, yeah, we were. Uh, we have some newcomers to the circle. Uh, favorite moment, beautiful thing you saw? This. I mean, bringing people together like this, I mean, it's too bad it's a radio show because you, could, you should see, see us sitting here. We have this cute little Little campfire. Yeah. It's 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 supposed to be a fire. It's a hacked fire. <laughs> it's the tiniest tent. Of yeah. It's and, cold. And and there's all these people sitting around here from different nationalities, and they're all exchanging stories. And uh, it's completely ad hoc. There's just people like me walking by and are like, "What the hell is going on here?" And join in. Oh, yeah, what's your name? My name is Martin. Huh? What's your hey, name? Martin. Hey, Look at this. People are meeting. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet Laura. You. Someone have one. Yeah. Yeah. The day before yesterday, I had birthday. And oh, happy, birthday. happy birthday! Thank you. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to I fully endorse this copyright violation. I got uh, a letter. Uh, Someone lent a, a, sent a letter to the camp with my name on it and so on, and it came to my tent. So one thing that, that uh, Sarah just said before, when she when she described how um, somebody just uh, suddenly made her day, um, what happened 30 minutes after that was that she made my day by giving me a hug after the talk. Yeah. And what I want to say with this is, I really don't want it to end there. It, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it has to be passed on. And what I think is that that's also something that's, that's happening here. When people come together and find out how much joy it is to, to, to do things together, to do things for each other and discovering how much joy it is that somebody does something for them. I think that's something that that the world needs, and it's 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 great to experience that in in any way possible, and it's great for me to experience it here. So yeah. Woo! So, yeah I want to start clapping for people's. <laughs>
this? <laughs> All right, well, uh, even though I'm a specialist in making things, trying to stretch them for too long, uh, it's been a complete yeah, honor. Yeah. Complete, complete, what, what, what? I was just gonna say, about three hours ago, you were like, it's only gonna take 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah and involve three people. Several people that have come here, yeah. Well, uh, it's, no, it's, it sounds good. And good Vinay came back as well at the end. Um, and let's, I want to close it here, uh, and I want to do it again. If it's in two years, if it's in four years, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to try and be here, and, and let's set up some chairs or futuristic space floating devices and sit on them, and, and let's, let's, let's do this again. Oh, wow. We should hey, do comfy people, chairs people. next time. Comfy man. chairs. Look, look up. Woo. Looking this, up. This is freaking amazing. Oh, my God. This is the sound of people looking up. <laughs> All right, let's end it like any good show should be ended with a round of applause and random cheering. Just some final notes. Citizenreporter.org is where you'll go to see this post and the notes that include links to everybody's project. The music earlier in this program, moldover.com. Also, this is the Young at Heart Choir. And let's see. Thanks to everyone that was in today's program. I will catch you again next week. Goodbye. See ya. I can't hear you. I say, what's cooler than being cool? Okay. This thing down in just a few seconds. They don't have me break this thing down for nothing. I want to see y'all. <laughs> Any Easter eggs at the end? Uh, next year, let's see the country count increase. Yes. Oh. Also, more women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the men cheered after that. Count to Mexico. <laughs> Sex change for next year. Oh, and um, if, if somebody really wants to know what happened uh, at this camp, uh, what should they do? Ask a scientist! <laughs>